Hey, it's Erica. I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to Global News What Happened To ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is the moment when the sun, already declining towards the west, looks the cathedral almost full in the face. Its rays, growing more and more horizontal, withdraw slowly from the pavement of the square and mount up the perpendicular facade, whose thousand bosses in high relief they cause to start out from the shadows, while the great central rose window flames like the eye of a cyclops, inflamed with the reflections of the forge. What you just heard is a short paragraph written by Victor Hugo as he describes a perfect spring day when the sunlight hits the centuries-old cathedral that has been the eyes of Paris, bearing witness to epic love stories and historic battles. I'm journalist Erica Bella. Today, we'll travel to another spring day a few years ago, when a hot fire nearly dimmed its existence forever. This is Global News What Happened to the Fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral. Tucked beside the River Seine in the heart of Paris towers the Notre Dame Cathedral. Those who visit are often overwhelmed by a building that has stood the test of time and is one of the landmarks of the City of Lights. A building that has witnessed the marriages of kings and queens. While it's easy to see its beauty from the outside, Stephen Murray helped me understand the history of this iconic building and learn what sets it apart from others. He's a professor emeritus at Columbia University and an expert when it comes to all things surrounding medieval art and Gothic architecture. He says what distinguishes cathedrals like Notre Dame is that they're much more than historical landmarks. And that's why he studies them. One thing to find out about the production of them and the kind of shifting changes around them, uh, and the fact these buildings represent timelessness because they're still there, and yet they, they themselves are caught up in change, and they come into a world of change, and they're not the result of history altogether. In a sense, they project history, they create history, and above all, they create identity and a sense of belonging. Uh, and they all come to Notre Dame, and somehow they all feel that this is their place, that they belong here. And um, it's wonderful, isn't it? And um, how on earth did that happen? But to understand the importance of Notre Dame, you have to go back, way back, to 1160, when Louis VII was reigning king and Maurice de Sully was the bishop of Paris. The original um, intent was um, to try and excuse my words, but to trump. In other words, to outdo 
um, what had just been done. And uh, they were trying to outdo, above all, um, the, the Abbey of Saint-Denis, St. Denis, just to the north of Paris, with an upstart abbot whose name was Suger. And uh, Suger claimed to be independent of the bishop, independent of the cathedral. And really, he, he created a magnificent building uh, in his abbey church. And it was important for them to, in a sense, go beyond that. Important uh, also was to go beyond the superior church. Uh, Notre Dame of Paris did not have an archbishop. It was just a bishop of Paris. This means that the Bishop of Paris wanted to build a new and much larger church. So he demolished the earlier cathedral and recycled its materials for the new church, which was to be built in the Gothic style to compete with the Royal Abbey of Saint-Denis, which was newly inaugurated in the late 1140s. Stephen said they were inspired by the original St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Old St. Peter's in Rome, not the present Renaissance church, but the original um, basilica, rose to a height of over 100 feet. And that set a kind of limit all the way through the early Middle Ages. Um, Notre Dame of Paris was the first church in in France, certainly, uh, to go beyond 100 feet. While construction began around 1160, the cathedral wouldn't be completed for decades. Stephen said Notre Dame de Paris is one of the earliest examples of Gothic architecture, with ornate stained glass, haunting gargoyles, and a towering spire that climbs 96 meters high. But for Stephen, there is one particular part of this cathedral that makes it so exciting. It's the flying buttresses. They are the slender arches on the outer edge of the building that work a bit like an architectural exoskeleton. It's as if the building has thrown its weight, its muscles to the outside. So you have massive pylons, uh, great supports that, that rise around the periphery of this very wide building. And then they throw these skinny little arches right across towards the main vessel. From the outside, uh, if you approach the Notre Dame from the east, doesn't it look like a, a great rowing boat or a galley with oars you know, rowing down the River Seine or rowing up the River Seine? Um, I think, to me, that's the most memorable uh, feature. Notre Dame was the inspiration, certainly, for what came next. So um, architecturally, uh, you can say certainly those other buildings were inspired by Notre Dame. And uh, certainly Notre Dame, probably if you want to select any building in France, probably Europe, that had m- uh, more influence more uh, impact on subsequent structures, uh, I think it would be hard to find anything that that, uh, surpasses Notre Dame. It produced huge amounts of spin-off, particularly in the smaller churches around Paris. If you go out there into the country around Paris, you'll find the chapter of uh, the clergy of Notre Dame owned a large number of parishes, and a number of the churches there make direct reference to Notre Dame. So it was a, a building that had enormous impact at the time. For centuries, Notre Dame has been a landmark in France and Europe, and millions from all over the world are drawn to it each year. For Michel Picot, his adoration for the Notre Dame Cathedral started while he was studying at an engineering school in Paris. I did part of my uh, studies in a school which is uh, on Montagne Saint-Geneviève, just in front of the cathedral, which means that uh, for a few years, I lived actually in a, in, in a small room 
um, just in front of the south transept of the cathedral. So personally speaking, I would say I am very, very attached to the cathedral. So the passage of time affects everything around us. And over the years, Notre Dame's beauty began to deteriorate. The last time it had undergone a major restoration or repairs was in the mid-1800s. The facade of the cathedral was restored at the end of the 1990s. But for the most part, there was no other major restoration or maintenance of the cathedral. The flying buttresses um, of the cathedral, and especially the flying buttresses of the, the, the choir of the cathedral, so the eastern part of the cathedral, uh, were, were threatening to uh, to collapse, so the stones were in in a very uh, uh, full disrepair. By 2016, the historic building was in a growing state of deterioration, and that's when Michel was contacted. I was called by the Archdiocese of Paris, and, and they had this idea of uh, uh, fundraising for the restoration of the cathedral. Michel started a charity. Friends of Notre Dame de Paris, and he led the restoration of the cathedral. When when this building was uh, built in the the 12th and 13th century, mostly there was evidently no computer, and so I would say the architects were building this uh, this type of building uh, with very uh, I would say rudimentary uh, tools, and so when you compare with the tools uh, that are available today. Uh, to the architects or to the engineers uh, who work on such uh, buildings. So this is really uh, very astonishing to understand that they were able to effectively build these uh, these structures, these cathedrals, without any of the uh, current tools that we have. By 2017, Michel said fundraising was well on its way, and so restorations began. We began actually to collect funds uh, in the U.S., in France, a little bit everywhere, in Canada also, partly uh, to be able to fund the the first steps of the restoration of the cathedral. The first uh, step of this restoration was about flying buttress number 10, because this number 10 was the the most damaged uh, flying buttress, which began effectively to... uh, to move uh, and and was threatening to collapse. Another area that required attention was right at the crossing of the cathedral's transept, standing at almost 100 meters, Notre Dame's spire. By 2019, the spire was surrounded by scaffolding. Restoration work was already underway, but just a few months later, the world would watch in horror as its future was threatened. It's a day seared in Michel's memory. I was at the cathedral the, the whole day of uh, April 15, uh, 2019. So we were we were working as usual on, on the different uh, steps of restoration. And as I said, the, the first step was the, this restoration of this spire. And, um, and I was preparing, by the way, the next uh, round of fundraising for the, the following steps of the restoration. Uh, and I came back home actually at around uh, probably uh, 5.30 or 6 p.m. because I live outside Paris, about 25 kilometers west of Paris. Less than an hour later, Michel would get the devastating call. 
Notre Dame de Paris was on fire. I remember April 15th, 2019 clearly too. I had been working the night shift in Toronto when I arrived at work at 2.30 p.m. I had already seen reports that Notre Dame was on fire. As a reporter, I know when breaking news is happening, it's so much more than facts. You try and convey everything that's happening around you, from the smells, the sights and sounds, relaying what's happening, listening to what people are saying, and feeling the mood in the air. Mark Owen was in Paris and covered the fire that night. He's a journalist and presenter with France 24. And like Michel before him, Mark was also lured by Notre Dame's beauty. I remember one cold day in autumn, sort of coming out of the metro and looking up and seeing the amazing towers and just feeling it was completely magical, you know. And then going inside and looking around and being completely transfixed by the whole place. It was uh, just a very magical time, the first time I ever went there. I remember sitting outside, sort of uh, just on a bench on the uh, the court, the parvis as they call it, and just looking at it. And I was there for about, I don't know, an hour. It could have, could have been days. It, it was about an hour, just basically just drinking it all in and just sort of thinking how remarkable and amazing the place is. So, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's been something that's been in, in my psyche for many years, even though I was born and brought up many, many, many miles away uh, from Notre Dame in the north of England. And for him, April 15th, 2019, started out like any other day. My working day begins um, in the office around about 6 p.m. A, a large part of the day at home is spent in preparing, um, reading up on topics, uh, thinking about the news, uh, developing things, suggesting uh, guests suggesting ideas for that evening's show. Um, you get in about six, six, just after six, and uh, I'm looking at the TV and I see there's a fire at Notre Dame. And, um, you know, at that time, some people were actually leaving the office, which I couldn't comprehend because if something of that scale is happening, you know, you don't leave, you find out what's happening. So I started jumping up and down and um, in the end, kind of almost bullied uh, the, the head of the uh, channel to start mobilizing people because I thought this was incredibly serious. Mark feared the worst. The fire seemed to be located on the roof. Clearly, it's not something that's going to stop very quickly. Uh, it's difficult to get to, difficult for fire crews to get to. And if they get there, difficult to direct their hoses onto it. So it was clear to me that something was happening pretty, uh, pretty serious uh, down there at Notre Dame at that time. Mark arrived to see the fire blazing at the top of the cathedral. There were so many aspects to the story. I mean, clearly, you've got the, the idea that some a part of history, of everybody's history, everybody knows about Notre Dame, a part of everyone's history is about to perhaps be destroyed. By the time Mark and the crew had set up, a large crowd began to gather near the cathedral. They watched in horror as large billowing clouds of smoke rose from the historic site. Red hot flames were shooting out of the cathedral's roof. Smoke and ash filled the air. And shortly after 7 p.m. local time, Notre Dame's spire came crashing down. Gasps from the crowd left speechless, staring at the destruction in front of them. That was uh, a moment that I think everyone realized this was something that was incredibly serious and it could be the end of something that, you know, was historical. Um, Certainly it was something that I think made many people realize, you know, there is something now happening here which is going to make history, which, you know, is, is... is something that everybody will remember in some way, shape, or form. Absolutely horrible moment because you think to yourself, this could be the end of, of an amazing, amazing place. 
Meanwhile, Michel Picot got the call shortly after 6.30, letting him know about the fire. He got to the cathedral at 8 p.m. When I arrived, uh, I, I came to the, uh, to the square in front of the cathedral, uh, and, and, I, and I attended, I would say, what was undertaken by the, uh, the firefighters to, to stop the fire. But it was very, very difficult because we had a very strong uh, east wind, which means that the, the fire, which had begun uh, at the basis of the spire, was uh, progressing towards the, the two towers of the cathedral. So until probably uh, 11 o'clock, so it, it was still very, very dangerous and, and the fire was still progressing. And so uh, we were very evidently very uh, shocked and anxious about what would uh, happen next. By then, the spire had already collapsed. This was really a, a terrible, uh, terrible moment uh, for me to uh, to look at this and to, I would say, in a way, to to realize that actually what we had uh, worked on for uh, for the last two years uh, was completely. Uh, uh, brought to zero because the uh, castle wall was uh, uh, in, in flames. And so we, we, we didn't know, I would say, beginning of the night, we didn't know whether the building would be uh, even saved. For hours, Michel watched the fire consume other parts of the cathedral. But as firefighters attempted to put out the flames, he noticed more and more people gathering at the riverbank. And... and uh, and this was very impressive because uh, there were uh, songs and, and prayers w- which came naturally to the uh, to the people uh, around the cathedral, and and you know in a way in a way the fact that the cathedral is on this island, just on, on the bank of the Seine, makes it uh, uh, I would say something you 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 can look at very easily from the banks, and so I would say these uh, these songs and these prayers so they were very impressive. Mark Owen heard the singing as well. It went on till the wee small hours. It was quite a, quite a long time. Um, I mean, basically, I spent a lot of time talking to people who'd, who'd gathered. There were many who were just basically praying and singing and, and, and trying to sort of somehow rally their spirits and, and call on whichever, whichever powers might be present in the heavens to, to make sure that this monument was saved in some way, shape or form. And, uh, you know, w- w- whatever you believe, uh, clearly something was, was smiling on Notre Dame that night because the whole thing wasn't wiped out. Um, credit to those who fought to control the flames uh, and credit to those who were praying on the sidelines because I'm sure that, you know, it all came together as one to, to create a situation where the cathedral was, was saved. For me, it was, it was so interesting to, to see and hear from so many people what the place meant to them. Um, there was this one sense of it, it belongs to us, it's part of us, you know, we need to save it, that kind of thing. This kind of feeling was really coming forward. And I think um, that's what I'm left with, really, the sense that, you know, Notre Dame matters to people. Michel said as firefighters worked tirelessly to put out the flames, his fear extended to the precious artifacts housed inside the cathedral. This was really, uh, we are very anxious because... As I said, the, um, the west wind pushed the, um, the, uh, the, the fire to the towers. And actually, at a certain point in time, the, the fire uh, went into the, um, the north tower of the cathedral. And you know that in the, in the two towers, you have uh, belfries, uh, wooden belfries, uh, which sustain the, uh, 
the clocks of the cathedral, uh, what we call Bourdon and, and, and so on. And this wooden, this wooden belfry of the North Tower, it began to, uh, to be on fire at a certain point in time. So, and, and, and we all knew that if, if the belfry went into fire, so, probably the, the tower would uh, would collapse very, very quickly. And so this was the turning point, uh, probably around 11 o'clock uh, uh, that night. The turning point was when the, the firefighters succeeded uh, getting up the tower and, and uh, I would say, extinguishing the, uh, the fire in the, in the belfry of the North Tower. Just after 3 a.m., Officials said the fire was officially under control. The cathedral's towers were saved, but the roof and the wooden beams that dated back to 1160 were gone. French President Emmanuel Macron made the pledge. Alors je vous le dis très solennellement ce soir. Cette cathédrale nous la rebâtirons. Unclear what it would take or how much it would cost at the time, Macron said he wanted to see the cathedral rebuilt in five years, in time for Paris to host the 2024 Summer Olympics. In the days and weeks after the fire, Michel was hard at work assessing the damage, and what he saw was devastating. So first of all, you had a lot of water effectively on the ground, and 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 the, inside the cathedral, all the um, the, the char, most of the charred timbers of the roof had fallen down in the middle of the cathedral, and especially at the crossing of the transept because the, the full spire had uh, fallen down. So there were there there, there were uh, charred timbers a little bit everywhere inside the cathedral. So it was like. Uh, like if a bomb had, had, had exploded on the cathedral, or several bombs had exploded on the cathedral. And there were, uh, just to, to give you an, an idea also, so there were three big uh, holes in the vaults of the cathedral. Uh, one evidently at the crossing of the transept because it was completely uh, bare, I would say, in the middle. Uh, there was also one uh, one hole in the, in the vaults of the nave because uh, when falling, I would say the spire had uh, uh, caused this this hole in in the in the vaults of the nave, and there was also one uh, hole in the vaults of the north transept because the the charred timbers were too heavy and they had actually uh, cre- created uh, caused also this hole. So there were three big holes in the vaults of the cathedral. So the, evidently the the the, the roof. Uh, and the, the framework, the timber framework of the roof had completely uh, burnt. Uh, and as I said, uh, there, were, there were some some parts of the walls which were at risk of falling, like, like this north gable of the transept. But I would say there were also some miracles because <laughs> there were some miracles because perhaps you remember if you had the opportunity to visit the cathedral that there was a very wonderful uh, statue of the Virgin Mary called the Virgin of the Pillar um, on, on the one of the pillars of, of the, uh, the crossing of the transept. And actually, this statue miraculously was not uh, touched when the, when the spire uh, fell down. And so the statue was still uh, intact, I would say. Uh, uh, and, and there was also... 
um, a cross of glory, which was at the end of the choir, so a very beautiful and a golden cross of glory at the end of, of the choir. And, and this cross of glory also had been uh, preserved in the, in the fire. So in a way, this could have been uh, much worse and we were happy to see that uh, large part of the cathedral in a way which was uh, still uh, saved. Michel said it was clear a lot of work would need to be done to restore the building, and it would cost a lot of money. Just to put this into context, Michel told me the funds needed to revitalize the cathedral before the fire was estimated to be in the range of $200 million. At the time, GoFundMe said in a matter of hours, over 50 campaigns were launched to raise money for the cathedral— And just a few days later, it was estimated that nearly 900 million euros, which is over a billion U.S. dollars, was raised. Celebrities like François-Henri Pinot, the billionaire head of luxury goods that owns fashion brands like Gucci and Saint Laurent, pledged 100 million euros. Bernard Arnault, head of Louis Vuitton, owner of LVMH, announced the donation of 200 million euros. And L'Oreal and the Betancourt mayor's family also agreed to donate over $200 million. Uh, and so this was comforting in a way because we, we realized that we would have this support uh, to, to help us uh, rebuild and restore this cathedral. So this was really a fantastic uh, move from uh, uh, donors. Not only, I would say, the, uh, uh, the two or 300,000 small donors we, who who uh, began to uh, to make donations, but also from uh, very large uh, donors, both in France and, and also uh, in the US. And so this was really comforting, even though we, we knew that we had in front of us a task which was completely different from the one we had before. But as quickly as the donations began pouring in, so did criticism over how much was being donated and how much attention was being paid to the cathedral. The Abbey Pierre Foundation, a homelessness charity named after a priest whose 2007 funeral took place at Notre Dame, said, quote, We are very attached to where Father Pierre's funeral was held, but we are equally committed to his cause. If you could contribute even 1% of the amount to the homeless, we would be moved. In about 24 hours, over a billion dollars was raised. So I asked Michel, how much it would cost to repair the cathedral. The cost of this safety phase alone is about $200 million uh, already. So before we, we, <laughs> we, before we start even uh, rebuilding the cathedral, this safety phase where we have effectively succeeded, uh, for instance, uh, removing uh, the, the burn scaffolding of the spire where we have succeeded, removing the, the grand organ of the cathedral uh, to be restored in the next step, where we have succeeded installing um, also inside the cathedral scaffoldings and, um, and, and, um, and prop-ups for the vaults of the cathedral, uh, and evidently also uh, securing the walls of the cathedral. So only this, this first phase has already a cost of 
about 200 million dollars. So, so it's it's difficult to assess the full cost of the restoration, but we we know that uh, already we will we will have to pursue, I would say, the uh, the fundraising in the next probably uh, five to ten years to ensure that we uh, fully restore the cathedral. So Michel said the total cost of repairs is still unknown. But I had one question, and you might be wondering this too. How did the fire start? In the days following the fire, officials came out and said they believed that the fire was accidental and likely caused by a short circuit. In the two and a half years since, there isn't much more insight. We don't know exactly. We know we know that the fire started at the... Uh, at the basis of the spire, uh, but we, we don't know the reason. And the uh, investigation, which was made by the uh, by the, the police, was not uh, conclusive. So uh, there may be uh, there may be uh, there may have been a, a shortcut because there were some electrical uh, circuits for the, uh, the the clocks which were under under the roof. So this is this is a possibility, but we don't know for sure actually what happened uh, and what started this fire. The 2019 fire nearly leveled the cathedral. But we are talking about a building that withstood the French Revolution and other major events in history. So I asked Stephen Murray about previous threats the cathedral had endured. Well, let me mention a near disaster that happened that almost nobody knows about. Uh, and that is to say that when you build a basilica, that's to say a longitudinal structure, and you intersect it with a transept, that's to say a cross piece that runs across it, in the area of the crossing space, structural problems will very often ensue because you've interrupted the regularity of the arcade in a regular line of arches. Each arch presses against the next one and it um, it, it stays up. If you break that with a, with a crossing, you're going to get problems. And on the east side of the crossing at um, Notre Dame of Paris, uh, the piers almost failed um, because of the outward push of the arches. And in the years around 1300, uh, you'll find that the east side of the, of the crossing uh, and uh, the first bay of the choir were completely rebuilt. Medieval people were astonishing, medieval builders were astonishing, in their ability to prop the whole building up, take out a, a defective supporting element, put a new one in, and that's exactly what happened in the choir. It wasn't the only one. The next disaster that was uh, dismissed uh, by, uh, not known by most people, is that there was a steeple already um, over the, the cathedral, a central steeple, and that began to fail um, in the 1780s. And rather than let it collapse on the building, they actually demolished it, uh, probably intending uh, to go ahead and rebuild it. But then, then came the French Revolution, and so the funding was impossible because the clergy had lost their income. And after the French Revolution, the building really was falling into very bad state of repair. The stones themselves were just being eroded uh, by the increasingly acid air. And by the 1830s or so, it was becoming a crisis. And so they started to try and reface the building in various ways to replace the, 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 um, the stone that was rotting, that was corroding. And uh, that was the point where the very famous restorer, Villa-le-Duc, was brought in. And it was Villa-le-Duc um, that fixed the building up in various ways. He actually rebuilt all the flying buttresses and um, rebuilt a huge amount of the exterior. He re rebuilt that steeple. 
that's the steeple that burned uh, in 2019. In Victor Hugo's book, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the building acts as a central character. It's significant simply because um, I think um, society had lost its way in terms of what to do with these buildings. The Catholic Church had been disestablished, which means to say that the source of revenue, all the lands and so on, and the commercial properties and the legal rights that owned no longer existed. So there was no longer a cash flow uh, to sustain the building. And uh, the building was in this way falling into just terrible disrepair. Victor Hugo then also goes beyond that. It's not just disrepair. Um, He looks at the building um, in terms of the... uh, aberrations that had been introduced in the 18th century, things that had happened to the building that that shouldn't have happened. For example, um, the main portal uh, with the image of of Jesus Christ in the trimmer, that had been knocked out. The tympanum, the sculpture above the portal, had been broken into. All kinds of dreadful things had happened. I didn't realize until I reread Victor Hugo recently that the whole Cathedral, the frontispiece, the west facade, sat on steps, elevated uh, above the surrounding square. Uh, to my eye, the facade is rather squat. You know, it looks like, it, especially the lower level, looks like it's been compressed, but it was supposed to have sat on uh, quite a high staircase that you, you ascend to. So Victor Hugo points to all these things uh, that had been done to the cathedral that needed to be redressed. Unfortunately, the steps never were redressed, but they fixed. The portal, they fixed, you remember, the gallery of kings, where the kings had been pulled out, had been destroyed. So all those things were done. And and so Victor Hugo, I think, simultaneously set the stage for the physical fixing of the building. But more important, in a way, he set the stage for looking at architecture in the way that I suggested to you at the beginning, that architecture is not just out there, the result of things. Architecture is the way we identify ourselves. It's the way we shape nations. It's the way we we shape ideologies. Stephen says the fact that Notre Dame continues to stand after the fire proves how resilient Gothic architecture really is. And what what Gothic is all about is protecting the building uh, by not having a wooden roof over the the, the, the body of the building, because the wooden roof may burn and fall into the structure and, and burn and, and destroy everything, but rather having a masonry canopy and then above that the wooden roof. So uh, when the roof caught fire uh, uh, in April 2019, um, it, it did not fall, for the most part, into the cathedral. It fell on top of the vaults, and fortunately, most of the vaults held up. The vaults that gave way were pierced by the falling steeple. When the steeple burned, it fell on the crossing vault, it fell into the north transept and one bay of the nave. But other than that, it's astonishing how well the system worked. The the vaults um, sustained the the falling timbers, the timbers burned on top of the vaults, the building survived. Um, So a triumph of Gothic. This spring will mark three years since the fire. The hope is to continue construction with the target to reopen the cathedral in 2024. But there's been a lot of debate surrounding the future of Notre Dame Cathedral, and in particular, whether there should be a more contemporary spire built instead of replacing what burned in 2019. I spoke with Stephen Murray about this. I kind of hoped 
that Notre Dame of Paris might be a situation where they'd, they'd mimic the old roofs, the same shape, the same profile. From the outside, everything would look the same. I kind of hope they might try something in terms of modern technology, you know. Um, I can't tell you what they would do. Carbon fiber and aluminum, something lightweight that wouldn't burn, and maybe have some solar energy up there. That seemed to me like an intriguing idea. Last year, the chief architects of historical monuments presented restoration plans to the National Commission for Heritage and Architecture, which is an advisory council that looks after restoration projects in France. They unanimously approved the architects' recommendations to restore Notre Dame to its prior state. Michel Picot says this includes rebuilding a spire identical to the one designed in the 19th century, which collapsed in 2019. So, for instance, to uh, build uh, a framework, a timber framework of the roof, uh, to, to, to have a lead covering also of the roof, and to, to uh, rebuild the spire as it was built by Viollet-le-Duc with its... Uh, timber uh, framework as well, and it's lead covering. So, which means that if you remember uh, the cathedral before the fire, so there was a, a, a unique, I would say, uh, uniqueness of this uh, roof of the cathedral, which we call the forest, because the roof actually was made of a, a structure, of a framework made of about 2,000 uh, oak trees, um, and so this, this uh, framework will be rebuilt as it was uh, before the fire. This, this framework, by the way, was partly a framework uh, from the Middle Ages. So, so part of the, the forest was uh, really from the Middle Ages. Michel says that a thousand oak trees that will be used for the transept and the spire have already been selected. And, and uh, in the next steps, or in the next uh, months, uh, we will also begin with the selection of the other 1,000 oak trees which will be needed for the roof of, of the nave and of the choir. While the target date to reopen is 2024, Michel says the work will be far from over. We know already that, for instance, the, uh, the restoration of the external parts of the choir and, and of those flying buttresses I mentioned in the beginning will not be done in 2024. So this will be done afterwards. And so most probably the, the, the full restoration will last until the end of the decade and, and perhaps even more. And, and we are currently raising the funds for the next reconstruction phase, as I said, which will uh, allow us to reopen the cathedral uh, in 20, at the end of 2024. But we know already that these pledges, as I said, of 800 million will not be enough to fully restore the cathedral beyond 2024. So this is what we are working, uh, working on, not only to transform the, the pledges in, uh, in uh, real funding, I would say in uh, cash funding, but also to ensure that we will be able beyond 2024 to fully restore the cathedral and afterwards also to maintain the cathedral because the, the main problem we had uh, when we began this project, is that the, the funds uh, dedicated to the maintenance of the cathedral since the last restoration of the 19th century were evidently far from enough to, uh, to do it properly, hence the situation we are in right now. 
I think this is important because this is this is part of uh, Notre Dame Cathedral is part of our uh, heritage, if you will. So I think people uh, were absolutely shocked to see this cathedral uh, in flames and uh, and burning, and so because this is part of our uh, I would say world heritage, not only for Parisian people but for people from all over the world. A beautiful building, a beacon of hope for many. Its restoration will no doubt be a long and costly endeavor. But I know one thing is for sure. Scrapes and scars from the passage of time have proven that Notre Dame Cathedral is meant to endure. So I leave you with a few words by Victor Hugo. The Church of Notre Dame de Paris is still no doubt a majestic and sublime edifice. But beautiful as it has been preserved in growing old, it is difficult not to sigh, not to wax indignant before the numberless degradations and mutilations which time and men have both caused the vulnerable monument to suffer without respect for Charlemagne who laid its first stone, or Philip Augustus, who laid the last. Thank you for joining me this week. Global News What Happened To is written and produced by me, Eric Avella, with producer Dila Velezquez. Our audio producer is Rob Johnson. Also, thanks goes out to Drew Hasselbeck, supervising national online journalist for Global News. Let us know what you thought of this episode and please share it with a friend. It will help us grow the show and bring you more incredible stories. You can also help us out by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also reach out to me personally. We are always looking for stories, so if there's a new story you want us to revisit, you can reach me on Twitter at Erica Vella or email me at erica.vella at globalnews.ca. Thanks so much and we'll see you next time.